Good morning, good evening, and good day. You're listening to Drama Buds, an anima podcast. So hello everyone! Welcome to today's episode of Drama Buds. I'm excited today because I get to talk about the show that's driving me insane! Yes, it's a first impressions episode on My Liberation Notes, currently airing on Netflix. Just to make you understand how insane I am over the show, how I'm going absolutely bonkers, I watch it essentially three times. Every episode three times. While it's airing in Korea, I search for spoilers. And then I watch it as soon as it's out on Netflix. And then the day after, I watch it again. But this time, I take notes on my thoughts and everything. Usually, I try to take notes during my first watch. But this time, like I feel like I need to enjoy it first. And then like watch it again to try to analyze what I can analyze with my two brain cells left. Because this show has truly taken over my mind. So, quick background on my Liberation Notes. It's directed by, same director as The Light in Your Eyes and Law School. Next, this is written by the, the Park Heong, writer of Another Miss O and the, my mister. Honestly, I will not be making any my mister comparisons because I don't want to. I want them to exist separately. I enjoy them in different ways. And also, we're just halfway through the show. We don't know where it's going and how everything's going to wrap up. Yeah, if you're coming here thinking I'm gonna make some my mister parallels or whatever, like, I won't. I really won't. I want them to exist as separate works because, like, my mister is a masterpiece and it's just not fair to compare it to that. You know, not everyone can recreate the magic that they did before. And it stars Kim Ji-won, who I love her so much. She was in Arthur Chronicles, Fight for My Way. I watched her a bit in Love Struck in the City. Um, it also stars Son Soku, who I loved in Designated Survivor 60 Days. Secretary Cha, Love of My Life. Also, he was in Be Melodramatic as the very annoying director who was paired with John Yeo-bin. He was in DP, another scumbag character. He's very good at those. <laughs> and I watched him a bit in Suits, like the few episodes that he was there as David Kim. David Kim is so hot. We love David Kim. And it also stars EL, who I refer to lovingly as God is a Woman because she was the, the one who was always in red in Goblin, her. So yeah, my liberation notes is about three siblings living together in Sanpo, which is in Gyeonggi-do. It's like the province around Seoul. You know, they want to be freed from the repetitive lives they're currently living. They want to be liberated. There, that's all I can say. This is a slice of life at its truest. It's not even melodramatic. It's really a slice of life. This First Impressions episode is just me trying to piece together their individual journeys and what I think the theme could be if they continue on this path. Let's go 
in the order that the siblings were born. Let's start with the eldest. So we have Yom Gijong played by E.L. She is the eldest sister who has been single for so long. Her main journey is really about her romantic relationships, I think. That's fair. That's fair. She has no idea what she wants in a partner. But she's also still too picky to even try dating anyone. So someone with really high standards without the self-awareness that she's not a perfect catch either. Unlike Changhi, the middle child, the brother, who is very self-aware, too self-aware in fact, that he shuts relationships down before they can even start. Yong Gi-jong shuts relationships down because she thinks they're below her standards, but she doesn't know what her standards are. She just knows they're very high. So, Gi-jong comes off a little unhinged. And by a little, I mean very unhinged, okay? She claims that she is ride or die, devoted to her partner if she had one. But she doesn't have the experience to back that claim up. But she really does act that way. But honestly, more than a relationship, more than sex, she wants intimacy with a man. Like, someone she can freely talk to. She really mentioned that. And... The first step to her whole journey, really, is approaching this boss of hers who constantly dates other girls in their office but has never paid attention to her. So she confronted him about it. And, you know, after that, they had to talk about relationships and why he dates around so often. And she has found someone to confide in, a man to confide in, someone who is a bit of a romantic like her as well, but he has the experience to back it up, unlike her. And so aside from the boss, she also meets Tehun, who is Mijong's, Mijong, the youngest daughter, her co-worker who is a divorcee and a single father. And also the younger brother of someone she went to high school with. So a lot of connections here. So they meet when she's having dinner with some of her friends and she's going on a tirade about this, I think a single father who tried to hit on her or confess to her and how like, she would never date a single father. And she's doing that right in front of him with his daughter on her birthday. <laughs> so just imagine the cringe of that situation. That was episode one. And then, a few episodes later, they meet again and she realizes, even if he's not up to her standards, right? Like, he's a single father. She still feels attracted to him. That she respects his attitude towards life and how he cares for his daughter and his family, his sisters. But she can't do anything about what she feels because she knows how judgmental she's been in the past. She knows how picky she's been in the past. And now, karma is coming to get her, okay? She thinks she would be perfect for him, right? That she could love him and give him all the strength he thinks he lacks. She has very, I can fix him energy. But yeah, she's afraid that karma will come to get her. And I'm telling you, episodes 7 to 8 are so funny. Comedy gold because of Gijong. Because EL, the actress, is killing it. Honestly though, honestly, my opinion on her story is that I... I kind of want her to end up with the boss. I don't know. That is an... I feel like that's an unpopular opinion. Because I think it's the perfect way to subvert expectations. Right? You think like, oh, she's building up this epic, epically funny romance with Tehun. Who she has hyped up in her mind as like someone she could be perfect for. And yet she has found the, the conversations, the intimacy that she's looking for with someone who she has never really looked at. Like, she was only bothered by the fact that he wasn't hitting on her because he was hitting on everyone else. But if he weren't hitting on everyone else, like, I don't think she would have even cared about him or looked at him. So I think that would also be a subversion of expectations. But, I mean, 
uh, if not, if if the story is really for her to end up with Taehoon, that's fine. It's about accepting someone as they are, even if they don't meet your fantasies or your expectations. And I also think it's a story about, you know, her self-awareness towards her judgmental nature and how she treats other people and how she is in a relationship. Okay, next sibling is Yom Chang-hee. He's the middle child, the only son, and obviously mom's favorite. God, as if I haven't seen that before. So Chang-hee works as a manager of a few convenience stores, but he's it's kind of a dead-end job, really. Like He's aiming for a promotion, but it kind of doesn't look hopeful. Chang is very unsatisfied with his status in life. He's unsatisfied with where he lives, with his job, with how much he makes, with how he's unable to fully commit to a relationship because he knows he cannot provide the life that he assumes his partner would want. Like, he was called very old-fashioned because, like, it's good to want to be financially stable for your partner, but also, like, you don't have to provide for someone. You could at least try to get into a relationship and make it work instead of saying, I am not enough as a provider and I shouldn't even get into it in the first place. Eh. Chang Hee is incredibly self aware and he will not shut up about how inadequate he feels, how he thinks he's a loser in society's eyes. But honestly, he's an okay guy. He, he has a decent personality, he has a sense of humor, but he always assumes that people only see him as a loser. I think he's the most stuck among the three siblings. Like, he wants to buy a car so that he can date someone and not have to spend so much money and so much time commuting to and from Sanpo in Seoul. But he's still suffering from a car he bought years ago that his parents bailed him out on because it was a bust. And then he also wants to buy this convenience store he's managing that he knows will do well. But his father doesn't want to support him. Like, his father is okay with how he's making money. He doesn't want to get any richer. And of course, Chang, he doesn't have the money to do that himself. And then he applied for a position in a different department, a better job. But he got rejected for that too. Now all he has, like his only hope of getting out of his situation is the promotion. But I'm very hopeless about that. I'm not hopeful at all that he's going to get it. The first few episodes really emphasized and reiterated how low his self-esteem is despite him being an okay guy. Like he's a pretty good person. Changi monologues the most among everyone. And he monologues to everyone. His friends, his family, his co-workers. He does not shut up. And it's always about his self-esteem. And the frustrating part of his character and his journey is that I understand him. Like, I can apply enough, you know, empathy and understanding to say that, like, I get you. I know why you're struggling so much. But the annoying thing about watching his journey is that I don't know how he'll get out of it. So it seems like all he's doing is whining and whining and whining. And there's no way out of it. So I am hoping that his story is about accepting himself and his situation. Like, who he is right now. And not who he wants to be or who he could be. Because, I mean, it's good to have ambition, right? It's good to want things. But he's always complaining about where he is. And he has this ambition, but he has no steps on how to get there. And so it really feels 
hopeless because he's so fixated on what he wants to be. Instead of trying to be okay first with where he is and then seeing what he can do with his current situation to get to where he wants to be. Right? You get me? When you're in a dead-end situation and you can't find a way to change it, is like wallowing in self-pity and allowing, you know, relationships, allowing possibilities to pass you by, is that a better way of living life? It's like, I can't do what I want. I can't be with someone because I'm not good enough for it yet or I haven't achieved what I need to achieve yet. I don't have anything yet. It's so difficult to live life when you're constantly hinging on my future self will be better or my present self can never do anything like this and so it's not even worth trying. I don't know. It's just miserable to watch him at times. I also think they'll give him a story with Hyona, one of their old neighborhood friends who moved out of Sanpo and into Seoul, but she isn't really happy. Because everyone still living in Sanpo, they have these fantasies about how living in the city will instantly make their lives better because they're you know, closer to work and closer to society, to life. Um, but that might not be the case as seen in Hyona's life. So I think developing a relationship with her, whether romantic or not, because they're getting a lot of scenes with just them together. I think they just get each other. So I, I hope that relationship teaches him that living in Seoul will not fix all his problems or, you know, rising up in life, quote unquote, will not fix all his problems. And he has to be okay with where he is at the moment before he can achieve all that. Honestly, the last two episodes, episode seven and eight, featured him a lot less. And I like those episodes the most. Because <laughs> I feel like the other characters have stopped monologuing as much. And the pace of the scenes has picked up. But Chang-hee and Duan, their other neighborhood friend, they're the only ones still continuing like that. They're the only ones still whining and monologuing all the time. And maybe that means something. Like, I'm starting to think about it in a narrative sense way. Uh, maybe that means something that, you know, when he starts experiencing actual change in his life and he starts doing something about his life, his way of communicating will change. Because Gijong was also very monologue heavy before. But then when she started doing something about her attraction to Taehoon, about her life and all, like she's not monologuing nearly as much. So maybe that means something and that in the future, you know, Chang-hee will still remain talkative, but he'll actually start doing something about his life and it won't just sound like whining. to our makne, our youngest child, Yeom Mi Jong, played by Kim Ji Won. So, she's the youngest child with a large age gap. I think they are using the actor's real ages here. So, uh, Gi Jong was born in 82, Chang Hee was born in 85, and Mi Jong was born in 92. So, 7 to 10 year age gap with her older siblings. <laughs> Painfully relatable, Park Heyong. You've done it again. <laughs> anyway, so Mi Jong is the most introverted among all of them, and she never feels like she belongs, even with her family. She's a temp worker in this graphic design job with a terrible boss who always tells her to make revisions, although 
actually the client or the higher ups like the first drafts better and then in her office in her team like her co-workers don't bully her it's not like that or they don't ostracize her maliciously but because Mijong is unable to join any clubs like there are after work clubs that they're encouraged to join she always has to go home early because it's like an hour and a half commute back to Sanpo. How can she be included in events, in plans, if she always has to go home? And what else is happening to Mijong? She has this huge debt because she took a loan out for her ex-boyfriend in his business that failed. And that ex-boyfriend left her for his ex-girlfriend and won't pay her back. So Mijong is stuck with this debt that isn't really hers, but she has to deal with it. So it's not a reach to say that Mijong's character journey was kickstarted by the iconic Worship Me conversation. You gotta watch the Worship Me conversation. It's insane. Like Kim Ji-won... She's amazing. And that scene rocked my world. I could not stop thinking about it for the week after. It's so good. Um, but yes, more on her and Mr. Gulater. Anyway, after the Worship Me conversation where she asks him, no, tells him to worship her, to make her feel whole. Wow. She finds the courage to start a relationship with someone. Right? Not a romantic relationship with Mr. Gu. Not romantic yet. Just to connect with someone and to ask to be understood, to be accepted, and to be supported as she is. With the knowledge that she can be her truest self with someone. With at least one person in this whole world, Mijong finally starts taking small steps towards breaking out of her shell and improving her life. So you can really see it with how she interacts with her co-workers more freely. I mean, even if there are times that she feels left out, like they planned this vacation in Guam without her and this other temp worker in their team. And, you know, it could feel like an attack personally, like they're personally leaving her out because they don't like her. But, you know, instead of holding it in and internalizing everything and sulking and isolating herself, you know, she... She just lets it go and continues interacting with them normally. Because, you know, she could say that she's being ostracized. She could say she's being left out because, oh, she's a temp worker. Because they don't like me. Or all these stories, blah, blah, blah. But she could just let it go, right? It, like, it means nothing. That you could focus on the logistics of it. That, you know, honestly, she lives far away. And she doesn't have much money. And she only has a temp worker salary. And, yeah, you could tell all these stories or even this is what Mijong actually said is that you know oh I don't have a bikini just make light out of the situation like don't take everything personally just let it go yeah that's that's a really huge step for Mijong who's used to just being so introspective internalizing everything she feels and thinks regarding the club situation because this workplace is so goofy they have these after work clubs that everyone has to join it's ridiculous i mean what kind of hr department is this <laughs> but instead of forcing herself to join a club or continuously refusing and then being bugged by the hr rep to join one she forms a new club with the other people who don't want to join any the liberation club and the liberation club is one of my favorite parts of the show it's ridiculous right they, when when they first formed it people were asking me like okay what do you do liberation um what do you liberate yourselves from i don't know <laughs> it's essentially group therapy without the therapist they talk about 
something about what they want to be liberated from and they listen to each other and they don't need to offer comfort or advice. They talk about the things that hold them back and what they want to liberate themselves from. It's very wholesome, actually. I would love to join that. Like, just talk about what you feel and no one is expected to, like, argue with you or try to fix your problem for you. Just, like, let it out and they'll listen and you're done. It's it's very lovely. I don't know. I would love to join something like that. Anyway, so what does Mijong talk about? What does she want to liberate herself from? Mijong talks about wanting to find someone that she genuinely likes. There's always something about all the people in her life that makes her uncomfortable or that she's disappointed by them or they expect something from her. But she wants to find someone who she accepts and she likes for who they are. No expectations on who they should be or how they should act towards her or towards other people. Like, just who you are, I accept you as you are. So I think it's liberation from expectations, I guess. I think that's what she's trying to say. And I guess she finds Mr. Gu. Mr. Gu played by Son Soku. So, Mr. Gu is a mysterious stranger who moved into the house beside them and spent months just drinking until their parents asked him to help with a factory in the farm. Like, to them, making him help them out was their way of saving him because he was really going to drink himself to death. And yeah, until the first few episodes, he spends every night drinking outside his house and he doesn't talk to anyone. But he starts slowly changing after the iconic Worship Me conversation. Like, he spends less time drinking. He doesn't stop completely. He still drinks. But he doesn't get drunk enough to hurt himself like he used to. And he's more responsive, receptive, I guess, to people talking to him or trying to converse with him. Although he still doesn't participate in all the small talk that most people do. And he's so much more expressive. Like, he smiles now. He chuckles. Um, especially with Mijong, who he... I was really opened up to more on them later, my god. We get to know Mr. Gu little by little, you know, that people exhaust him, that drinking calms him down because his mind is always a mess and he only feels at peace when he's drinking, sleeping, or talking to Mijong. And that drives me insane. But more on that later. And we also find out that he is really, he's hiding here. He's hiding from someone. From what? We don't know. But dangerous people are coming after him. And current theory, current popular theory, is that he's definitely in a gang or was in a gang. And he probably killed someone or did something that directly made someone kill themselves. So, yeah. Probably related to death. And that's why he's been so guilty and doesn't see himself as a decent person and he hid away obviously to protect himself and to drink himself to death so i that's the current popular theory and i'm kind of riding with that a special segment for me Jong and Mr. Gu because I am so I'm going insane over them okay I care about the other characters and I do want to see where their stories are going but like my main investments really me Jong Mr. Gu and their relationship whatever happens to them whether it's romantic or not I know I'm all in so 
I'm going insane over them as individuals, their individual journeys, their relationship with each other, their relationship journey, their chemistry, everything. Everything about Mijong and Mr. Gu consumes my mind, okay? So, the worship conversation. <laughs> Once again, you gotta watch the scene. It's, it's on YouTube. Go look for it. Um, it's... Truly insane. Unhinged energy. And at first, you, me, 80% of the people who watched it, I'm sure, when she said, worship me, make me feel whole, I want to be filled, we all assumed there was something sexual there. But honestly, it was not. It was so far from that. It became apparently so deep and so emotional. When he asked her, okay, what does it mean to worship someone? She said, you cheer them on. You tell them they can do anything and that everything is possible. So what she's asking really is for someone to support her, to accept her and to support her. That's what she was asking for when she asked him to worship her. A Korean fan said that actually cherish was a better translation for, for chuang. That's the Korean word. I like worship. Let's use worship. So after the worship conversation, when she asked him to make her feel whole, he asked her, like, okay, if, have you ever made someone feel that way? Have you ever made someone feel whole? And then she said, well, if you want me to worship you, I can do it. So <laughs> it's insane. It's really insane. But, you know, the unhinged energy pushed them both out of their comfort zones. And he started, like, reaching out to her. And they started talking and opening up to each other without judgment of each other. And when they started doing that, that's when we saw that they're kind of kindred spirits in a way. Because they're both exhausted with people and how they waste so much time talking and talking without actually meaning anything by their words. And they both seemed like they were waiting for their lives to end. Like, Mijong had that monologue of her just thinking very darkly. And he was like literally out in a storm or something with a live wire across him. Like, he was so drunk out of his mind that he didn't even care about himself. And of course, he was drinking himself to death. Like, they had this just darkness in their heads until they connected and, and found some sort of peace with each other. Because being with each other gave them peace. Like, Mijong is tired of expecting things from others and Mr. Gu is clearly hiding something dark that's caused him to drink uh, self-destructively. This is self-destruction. And on her side, like, Mr. Gu has seen her at her most outspoken and wouldn't judge her for continuing to show him that side of herself, the petty, angry, sulky, hurtful side of her. And he encourages her to speak up, to get mad at him. And unlike her other relationships, like he wouldn't leave her behind or see her any differently until you know she's finally strong enough she finds the strength the courage or the self-love to stand up for herself to everyone not just in front of him and on his side like she is the first person who has actually tried to talk to him since he arrived because everyone just sees him as this drunk guy who you should all probably stay away from and she doesn't judge him for that like she doesn't judge him for his drinking she doesn't try to change him and you know fix him and he will open up when he wants to. He will get himself together at his own pace. And he does. Slowly. It's not for her, right? It's not for her sake. It's not to be better, to be good enough for her. But just someone believes that he can do it when he didn't even believe that he could. As of now, it's not outright romantic. But 
it's honestly so romantic that I cannot deal with it. Like my head cannot wrap itself around how romantic this is to me in my heart because every interaction they have is so full of meaning and they are making their lives even just the slightest bit better not for each other right this isn't a codependent thing where we have to be better to deserve each other blah 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 it's not like that but they're making their lives better because someone believes that they can do it it's a story of radical acceptance like that's what i realized as i was really meditating on everything that the show was saying it's radical acceptance that you may not be perfect. Sometimes you may not even be good. You may not do good things. But you as a human being deserve acceptance. You deserve patience. You deserve love even. Whether it's romantic, platonic, familial, everything. And to experience that acceptance is so empowering. Because self-love is great. But sometimes you need a little push, a little help. To get you moving. And what's wrong with receiving that love from others? Like, no man is an island. We live in a community. We live with people. We are social animals. It's okay to receive love and then learn to love yourself. And of course, you know, many people are cautious about this becoming a, you know, love fixes all kind of story. But one, it's not. It just, it just isn't. So far, at least. And two, just because... A relationship turns out romantic, that doesn't mean that the romantic love was the cause of that positive change in their lives. Because, okay, for me, Jong, like, what if she truly just lacked genuine connection with someone? What if she needed something or someone who had no expectations of her, who just accepted her as she was, and didn't treat her or see her the way others did? And for Mr. Gulek, what if he needed someone to bring him out of his self-destructive recluse and back into society? Like, what if connection with someone is what helped him start that journey and brought light into both of their lives? Like, what if romantic love is just a consequence of experiencing genuine connection with someone? Because when you are so vulnerable with someone and so open and accepting and understanding, like, you see the best and worst of someone. Right? Instead of just seeing the best of someone and then falling in love with that and then seeing the bad and not knowing if you can handle it. It's like, no, this is who we are at our rawest form. Take it or leave it. And they take it. They accept each other as they are. <laughs> it's beautiful, man. Also, like Park Hyung has already written a story about empathy, right? About seeing someone as just human and acting with compassion for someone's benefit without making it all romantic. So what if she decides this is the next story to tell? So I will trust the process. I want it to be romantic. I really do. Because Kim Ji-won, Son Soo chemistry is insane. And these are two actors that I liked. And I did not expect they would be in a project together. And I did not expect they would be paired together and I did not expect they would have this much chemistry. Why did I doubt? Why did I doubt? I should have never doubted Kim Ji-won. Honestly, Kim Ji-won, I trust her with chemistry. And honestly, Son Suho, I should have trusted him too. <laughs> so yeah, putting them together, this was a match made in heaven and personally, it was made for me. This relationship, their characters, the casting, everything about this was perfectly curated to give me what I want. Like, they're literally just talking. They're just sitting near each other. They're walking towards each other, walking beside each other, walking away from each other. And we're all losing our minds. So, yeah, 
I, I want it to be romantic just so that we don't waste this amazing chemistry. But you know, I'm so used to being disappointed that my heart is already half broken. Like, it's just ready for it. But we'll see. Park Heyong, I'm coming after you if you don't give me the romance. But if you do give it to me, I'm still coming after you because you're insane and you've given me everything I have ever wanted. So please, Park Heyong, just make it romantic. Thank you very much. So, just a few general comments about the whole show. Um, when the cast described the show as like 200% relatable, honestly, I rolled my eyes because I'm like, who is this relatable to? What are you talking about? How could you describe something as relatable when that only means it's for a niche set of people? Apparently, the niche is me, my intrusive thoughts, my delusions. I am represented in the show. It's insane. Even the age gap with the siblings, insane. Uh, even the graphic design job that she's, you know, not necessarily great at, but just decent enough at it, insane. And honestly, if I were to choose the sibling I'm most similar to, I'm Chang Hee. That's why he annoys me, because I see myself in him. I... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. To self-disclose, I am most like Changhee among the three siblings. So something I do not like about the show is that there are so many monologues. Like sometimes the scenes are just monologue after monologue. Two characters monologuing to each other and they're not really talking to each other. It's not a conversation. They're just saying their piece. The others aren't really listening. But then another person will start saying what they think. Honestly, the first few episodes, so much. But I'm telling you, like, the recent episodes have been picking up. Because once again, I think that is a narrative choice. That when you start doing something about your life, you stop talking about it and just start doing it. So I hope that continues. And I hope Changi gets himself together because I'm about to shut him up. Even though he makes a lot of great points at times. What else? Prepare yourself for some absurd moments. Like, absolutely out-of-nowhere hilarious moments. And putting Park Heyong, who wrote Another Miss O, which is an absolutely unhinged show. And also this director, who has a very weird directing style and is unafraid to do anything and everything. <laughs> um, putting them together brought about a lot of weirdness to this show. The humor sometimes... I have no idea why this is happening, but I just laugh because it takes you totally out of it. The acting is great. Not a single cast member who is not killing it. Except for the mom. Honestly, the mom is my least favorite character or my least favorite performance here. Um, the sibling energy of the three, they really feel like siblings. I kind of love it. And I mean, needless to say, Kim Ji-won, I've always loved her. I've always known that she can deliver like this. And... I'm glad she got a role like this. Son Suhu, he's always just been a great side character, but to see him in a, you know, pretty much a lead role here, he is fantastic. I love it when a character is supposed to be mysterious and you really feel curious about them because it's so easy for mysterious acting to look, 
you know, like they're lost. Like they don't know how to act out what they're acting out, what they're supposed to be acting out. But I also have to give some credit to the director because I watch all their behind the scenes and he really like goes in there and tries to explain what the character is feeling and the whole flow of the scene instead of just trusting the actors to figure it out themselves. Like they really discuss like, okay, at this moment, you're not super drunk, but you feel this way and you're taken by surprise when she says this and then you step in front and then you make this expression. And of course, the actors are great and they deliver everything the director asks them. So yeah, it's just everything. Lightning in a bottle. Perfect. As of now, I'm reviewing the first eight episodes. The episode eight was my favorite because we started this journey where the, everything was just so bleak and just dead-end lifeless, right? They all hated their lives and they had no idea what to do and they just didn't want to be there anymore. And episode 8 felt so hopeful. It felt like each character was really stepping forward in some way. And yet, the dread in my heart grows every single day because I know we're gonna enter the conflict. I know Mr. Goose Dark Past will come and things will change between him and Mijong because things have been so good for the past few episodes. And I'm just anticipating it. But I'm here for the ride. I'm here for the journey. And obviously, verdict is that I'm finishing this happily. I am here. I am seated. There's just something about this show that really hits me different. And I love it. I'm gonna finish it, obviously. Yeah, that's it for me today. This was a long first impressions episode because I have so many thoughts. And I knew I was reviewing the first half of the show, so I do have a lot to say. It's great. It's not for everyone, but it's for me. This show is perfectly created for me. Everything I could ever want. And it's just very exciting, but also terrifying because I had high expectations for this. And I'm used to being disappointed. So I was half excited and half already disappointed and yet to have everything i want is really insane and it scares me so yeah that's how much i love the show so far please try it please pick it up please give it a chance at least and yeah that's it for me today thank you so much for listening and i will see you soon thanks for tuning in feel free to leave a comment like subscribe follow and tell me what you thought about today's episode See you soon!